Hello, everyone. It is your host, Kenny JD, Miss Kendall, or Mother Biscuit if you're nasty. Your judge for end events of. If you're perhaps curious about what credentials I have regarding film critique or law, I have neither, and they gave me a show anyway. <laughs> Reach for the stars, kids. That's how you do it. Lie on the resume. <laughs> Lie on that resume today. If you are not familiar with me as a creator, I create content on Kenny JD on YouTube. Um, one of the things I do there is share my love for bad movies and makeup while I uh, do both together in a series called Bad Movies in a Beat, the series on my channel where I talk about bad movies while putting my makeup on. And today we are expanding that love of film and media into the newly formed More Butter brand. And that's incredibly exciting. I know. I, I love the idea that we can take something that seems pretty niche, maybe, I don't know, bad movies, and expand it into like un- undervalued movies. That's what I'm going for. Movies that should have gotten their flowers, but didn't, or maybe didn't get any flowers and they didn't deserve it. I am the judge here after all. You hear that? They gave me a gavel. Oh, they shouldn't have gave me a gavel. <laughs> you are about to enter the courtroom of the Honorable Judge Kenny JD. Does she have any movie critic experience? No. Does she have any authority? No but they gave her a show anyways. The movies are bad, the cases are good, the rulings are final. This is in defense of. Hello and welcome to In Defense Of, a More Butter production. The show where we talk about movies that bombed at the box office and judge whether or not they deserved it. Today, I, Judge Kenny, We'll be ruling over the case of Showgirls, a movie that I have quite a history with, a movie that I have already made a scathing video about in the negative. <laughs> more over time, I have grown to find more supporting evidence, if you will, <laughs> for Showgirls, some less than obvious virtue, if you will. Uh, maybe I will find that the hard hand of justice has been a bit too cruel to this uh, Paul Verhoeven monstrosity, this disgrace <laughs> this time around. If you want to submit any movies for me to examine in court, leave it in the form of a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for a chance to be featured on the show. Also, be sure to subscribe and follow the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really helps to grow this incredible community. Now, without further ado, this is the case of Showgirls. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to not overuse the gavel, I swear to God, but I can't help it. Makes me feel powerful. So Showgirls was written by Joe Esterhaas and is the second project he has done alongside acclaimed director Paul Verhoeven. The writer came up with the idea for the movie while on vacation in Hawaii, came back to Beverly Hills, and was given an advance of $2 million to write the script based on the idea that he scribbled on a napkin. Esterhaas has made several pulpy, sexy dramas up until this point, like Flashdance and Basic Instinct, which had made him the highest paid screenwriter of his time. Later on, the writer received an additional $1.7 million once it was picked up as a movie. This is not the first time that Esther Haas and Paul Verhoeven had come together for a film. 
They had actually worked together on the wildly popular film Basic Instinct three years prior. And so the men, perhaps living off of the high of Hollywood success and possibly a lot of cocaine, allegedly, um, (laughs) the men took their chance to strike gold once again. In a strange way, they kind of did... (laughs) question mark, uh, by creating one of the most iconically and pretty universally disliked at the time movies ever made. (laughs) Perhaps one of the other controversial aspects of the film was their interesting choice, I should say, of leading lady who was American darling to some degree, Elizabeth Berkeley. Before this, Berkeley was known as a character on Saved by the Bell, um, an early well, late 80s, early 90s, family-friendly sitcom. Suddenly, the literal child people had grown up with had seemingly skipped a few steps in the process of adulthood and went gung-ho into one of the most raunchy, widely released movies of the decade. One can only imagine that this was another factor in the understanding of the movie's criticism. All of this combined into showgirls being a widely known failure, a box office bomb, (laughs) torpedo, casualties everywhere. It was terrible. (laughs) Box office, it uh, made about 37, a little under $38 million, though the production cost itself was $45 million. So tank. And this is pretty much undoubtedly due to the movie's universally negative ratings And that combined with this NC-17 viewer rating probably didn't help much either. Uh, The Puritans always ruin everything, don't they? Um, (laughs) With that said, the movie won plenty of awards, just none that it probably wanted, namely Razzies. Uh, It won Worst Film at the Dallas-Fort Worth Film Critics Association, Worst Picture for the Golden Raspberry Awards 1995, uh, Worst Actress also, Worst picture of the decade from the raspberries. They swept it. It was great. Which, side note, sounds like a fun time. I feel like that's somewhere that I really should... Like, I want to go to the Razzies. Who's going to invite me to the Razzies? I would love it. It would give me, like, new things to watch. Somebody take me to the Razzies. I should do... Sorry. Side note. Getting sidetracked. Anyway. Upon the film's sour reception, Esther Haas was uh, quoted as saying that they, quote, clearly made mistakes. Clearly, it was one of the biggest failures of our times. It failed commercially, critically. It failed on videotape. It failed internationally, (laughs) unquote. Um, He's also been quoted in regretting the most egregious part of the film and the incredibly sudden and explicitly violent sexual assault scene. McLaughlin, who played uh, Zach in the movie, Kyle McLaughlin, uh, he also recalled seeing the film at its premiere, and that was the first time he had ever seen it in its entirety, if I recall correctly. And he was, quote, absolutely gobsmacked. <laughs> it was horrible. Horrible. <laughs> the movie was an insipid failure <laughs> that shocked critics and audiences alike. Again, Esther Haas and Verhoeven were very well-renowned, very respected writers and directors. Um, So for it to come out and be so bad truly shocked the masses. Got a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes based on 64 critic reviews. 
37% of audiences also hated it. <laughs> and that's with over 50,000 people rating it. So with such a world-renowned writer and director, how then were they able to make a movie so wholly misguided and arguably bad? <laughs> and beyond that, why are there still so many people that still like the film anyway? The movie centers around a pretty and ferocious bad girl, TM, blonde by the name of Nomi Malone, who is leaving an unspecified location out east to venture into Vegas where she's going to dance. Along the way, she meets black people whose entire purpose is to catapult her story forward and to provide contrast to her inevitable upward social mobility as a pretty blonde main character of the mid nineties. She starts off at a strip club inundated by the misogyny of her boss, Al, and surrounded by the quote, cheap and tawdry world of stripping. One night, her friend Molly brings her backstage at her job at The Goddess, a high-class topless ballet of sorts. It's a topless show, but it's like artsy. And they think of it not as like stripping because it's artsy, you know? Rich people, same stuff. They, they gentrified stripping. There you go. <laughs> there she meets Crystal Connors, a super Texas Texan who is the headliner of the show, the prima ballerina, the star. The movie follows their sexually charged rivalry and thematic symmetry as Nomi climbs the ladder at the goddess to become the show's leading dancer, betraying herself and others along the way. Ultimately, Nomi discovers that the misogyny of the strip club is by no means less intrinsic at the quote, higher class shows, and that it permeates all aspects of sex work and perhaps more cynically, life as a woman in general. Everywhere she goes, she is reminded of her past in sex work and the marred moniker of being a quote unquote whore. In the final act, Nomi is able to redeem herself by beating the shit out of a guy that sexually assaulted her friend and leaves Vegas for California in California <laughs> and leaves Vegas for California in a cynical ride to a new town to start all over. She didn't learn shit. <laughs> The question of how or why movies like Showgirls come to be reclaimed by a cult audience is as elusive a question as what the fuck Esterhaus and Verhoeven were thinking when they made the movie in the first place. Was this movie intended to be a hard-hitting drama around the predatory and misogynistic world around us? Or is it simply the maker's misogynistic fantasies of their own on screen to sell to an equally misogynistic world? Why, hello there. Popping in to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Haritos. Haritos Soda, who is quite possibly my favorite soda to ever come in a glass bottle. Haritos Soda comes in 12 flavors, so you're sure to find one that you like. The flavors are Mexican Cola, Grapefruit, Tamarind, Strawberry, Mandarin, Lime, Guava, Pineapple, one of my favorites, Mango, another one of my favorites, Watermelon, Passion Fruit, Fruit Punch, and Jamaica, not to be confused with Jamaica. They're made with real sugar, all natural flavors, and are made with no HFCs. As of right now, my favorite flavors keep changing. At first, I was always like a fruit punch, strawberry girl. Now I'm leaning towards mango or pineapple. So if you would like to try every flavor, you can check it out by going to the link in the description box so you can get your personal Jaritos Fiesta pack at Walmart. Big thanks again to Jaritos Soda for sponsoring today's video. 
Was it supposed to be a campy, tongue-in-cheek critique of Vegas dramatic excess? Or is it just a misguided attempt at it? Upon my first viewing, for instance, I was definitely in the headspace that the only redeemable quality this movie had to offer an audience was the uh, inspiration for my makeup today. I'm glittering if you can't see me, if you're listening to the audio one. I am shimmering. Goddess shit. (laughs) B, honey. Anyway, but other than that, to me at least, it was this clownishly misogynistic and terribly acted movie that seemed to be as misguided in its aspiration to appeal to audiences as it was this attempt at making a strong female protagonist or having any cogent thought around women's anything, sexuality, experiences, power, lack thereof. It it didn't really seem to have any cogent thought (laughs) that it wanted to present. And I found it frustrating and somewhat hilarious. And and that's before we got to like the horrible acting, the dolphin sex and the subhuman dialogue, okay? But one thing that this movie did do well is confound me. (laughs) I became obsessed with the question of what the fuck is Showgirls? And I just really wanted to figure the movie out. And in the process, I have grown to have somewhat of an appreciation for its successes and failures, as they are both crucial to the experience. And over the years, critics and audiences have found themselves in the same space, considering if the film is indeed a misunderstood masterpiece of camp foolishness, or instead a serious deep dive into the lives of women that work in sex. This confusion is partially because Verhoeven himself doesn't seem to have a steady stream of consciousness on the intent of of the movie either. (laughs) If you were to ask him leading up to the film, he would probably lean more towards the quote unquote serious drama. Later, uh, it was intended to be something campy, something fun, like a good time. And people took it so seriously. (laughs) However, in recent years, Verhoeven seems to have leaned ultimately into the interpretation that Showgirls uh, is a misunderstood and devalued, undervalued work of art. Serious, regardless of if it's serious or not, I guess. Some, like film critic Adam Naiman, author of It Doesn't Suck, Showgirls, a book about how Showgirls doesn't suck, entirely, I guess, would perhaps argue that both of these understandings of the movie can exist simultaneously and ultimately make the film a wholly singular experience. Naaman and Verhoeven, in the epilogue of It Doesn't Suck, sat down to talk about Showgirls in 2017, during which Verhoeven would say that Esther Haas proposed that they make a, quote, new kind of musical, not like a West Side story, but something more realistic, including a realistic look at the level of entertainment they provide there in Las Vegas, which interested Verhoeven as he always wanted to make a musical, which this is a musical. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. News to me, baby. Okay. Uh, Verhoeven admits that he felt a sort of carte blanche to get away with anything at the time. At this point in his career, he had some incredibly and vastly popular success with uh, RoboCop, Total Recall, and of course, Basic Instinct, which he had done again with uh, Esther Haas. 
and Verhoeven kind of felt unstoppable, you know? And though he would say that the failures of Showgirls was his biggest, quote, tragedy of his life, Verhoeven's been fine. He's <laughs> nothing has stopped for him at all. He's been completely able to have a successful, continuous career well into what is he like 80 now? He's fine. Okay. Elizabeth Berkeley, however, not so lucky. And if that isn't just misogyny replicating itself, ironically, Elizabeth's career was pretty much destroyed due to several factors. Um, that were entirely out of her control, namely her quote-unquote bad acting. Again, before this movie, Berkeley was seen as a sitcom actor, and many would say that this movie, being her first like serious role outside of that, um, would ultimately be a measuring stick of her talent as an actress, right? She can't function as a serious adult actor. And ultimately, Showgirls became very synonymous with her quote-unquote inability to act. As written by Esther Haas and directed by Verhoeven, Nomi was this kind of erratic, traumatized, albeit a bit two-dimensional, 19-year-old girl, and Elizabeth Berkeley behaved accordingly. However, the public did not see her performance as an interpretation of the men creating the film, writing the film, directing her to act, but instead as an indicator, again, of the limitations of her ability to act. And due to that, Berkeley kind of lost everything because of Showgirls. Her agency dropped her. She was she had the love of dance prior to this, and she kind of had to give that up as well. Um, and only within the last few years has Berkeley been able to somewhat reclaim her experience with showgirls and has found a home in the warm embrace of cult movie fans around the world. And in her reclamation of the movie, she's decided to kind of talk about the movie as if it was always meant to be this kind of fun and wild movie. And ultimately that it should be understood that way. It's what it was supposed to be. And so out of respect for Berkeley and her decided proclamation that the movie was always supposed to be a good time, I will concede that despite the very real and disturbing content discussed and uncovered through the film, it is itself a rather ironic look into it. (laughs) If the movie is meant to be understood as campy and a rather fantastical look at reality, suddenly the movie becomes a bit more enjoyable. Because how else should I really understand Nomi dancing like a maniac in the club? How else are we supposed to make peace (laughs) with the incredible lines like, it doesn't suck, and fajitas, and like, thrust it, thrust it, thrust it, different places. And it must be weird to not have somebody come on you. (laughs) To find the virtue of showgirls and ultimately the fun in it, perhaps the key is to understand that though the movie shows the dark workings of society, violence against women, misogyny, classism, racism, etc., that it doesn't explicitly condone those things. Instead, it simply places a young woman who has her own personal trauma in the middle of it and attempts garishly to find the ironic fun 
in the wild, toxic, sexy life of Las Vegas excess. Though in its attempts, it's not entirely successful. Again, there's a lot of things, a lot of failures involved in in the movie. It's it's a whirlwind. <laughs> it's an enigma. Um, <laughs> the failures make it that much more entertaining. Again, these lines, these deliveries, Versace. Um, <laughs> Perhaps then the movie highlights the inherent ludicrousness that exists in certain aspects of sex work. That it's not all grit and oppression, though those things are often present. And it's not all flashy money and, and, and excess, though again, those are, those may be part of it. But instead, there are just some things that are downright funny about it. I was listening to a podcast. It's really great. Highly recommend it. After you listen to mine, maybe you can give them a look. <laughs> It's called Girls, Guts, and Giallo. And they have an episode on Showgirls. And uh, and Sarah Patterson uh, said something interesting about the experience, her particular experience of working in sex work. Quote, doing sex work is campy by virtue of doing it. <laughs> That's part of what the movie both intentionally and unintentionally highlights. Uh, in all levels of Nomi's involvement in the sex industry, there is campiness, there is ridiculousness, and that may be inherent. Maybe it's already there. So final verdict. Again, they shouldn't have gave me a gavel. I'm gonna have so much fun with this. Anyway, this movie is innocent of being worthy of all the bad press it got. Exonerated from its title of being altogether uh, awful misogynistic trash movie, and instead is a campy display of some of the inherent campiness of sex work. And though the film made some, again, awful mistakes, if you've never seen the movie, please, please don't ruin your day. Please skip the sexual assault scene when um, Molly is at the party. It will ruin your day. It comes out of nowhere. Don't let it ruin your life. <laughs> and anyway, yes, the movie has a lot of really less than ideal ideas that it doesn't fully articulate. It still exists in a world as a unique and stylized piece of culture and social commentary. And so yeah, I say all that to say I changed my mind. I'm the judge around here, I can do that. When you have your courtroom, when you have your show that, they, that you're also <laughs> incredibly ill qualified for, then you can say whatever you want. But uh, this is my courtroom, baby. And do with that information what you want. So I have some instructions for the jury. If you'd like your question answered on the show, leave it in the form of a five-star review and we will together answer it on the next available episode. Now, even though my ruling is final, if you agree or disagree, I would love to know. Leave a comment on YouTube and engage with me on social media. All of that will be linked somewhere in the description box. You can see where I'm everywhere. <laughs> everywhere it's Kenny JD. Um, and thank you again for listening. And I'll see you guys next time. Peace out. That's not what a judge says. I'm gone. Peace out. Okay, bye. <laughs>